In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hi, everybody. We're so glad that you joined us today. Um, today, I'm very excited to meet, for the first time, Mitch Schultz. And for many of you, you'll be hearing his story for the first time as well. But thanks, Mitch, for being with us today. It's great to be here. It took a while to find you. It's a huge building, and they knew that I w- you were waiting here, and I showed up, and they brought me up the elevator, you know, and here was, we are in a was, cold room it up was in just a corner. Fine. I was just <laughs> checking mindless emails, that's all. So, <laughs> being mildly well, I end up in the wrong building. They yeah. sent me to to, the GPS sent me to an old building in town somewhere it that happens, was vacant. It? Yeah, we, yeah. We put all of our faith and our trust now in GPS. There's and, a lesson uh, there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so glad to meet you. Uh, a friend Thank of you. ours, uh, we're going to go ahead and give him a shout out, Rich Griffith from Tacoa Falls Bible College. Uh, He's a professor there. Correct. And you you do some teaching there as well. No, I, I don't. I I've covered a few times, but I don't. We okay. we've lived in Tacoa for about three years. Uh, Tacoa, Georgia, northeast okay. of Atlanta, and uh, I have a ministry there that provides support to pastors. Uh, yeah. This was after thirty five years of pastoring, and so just by being, uh, I, I I help mentor a group of pastors in town in okay. Tacoa, and we meet at the college, and that's where I've connected with Rich. Well, he is an old friend in ministry. We're giving you a shout out here, Rich. Uh, so there you go. But we um, today our conversation is I just we just want to get to know you and um, how you came to faith in Christ, of course, and uh, just a little bit of your story. Now I know you're an author, and uh, you've probably written more than just the ones I'm holding here. But the one that's really intriguing to me is uh, the book "Surviving the Fires of Sorrow," and it's a book on grieving. Is that correct? Yes, it is, and we, uh, you know, no doubt we'll probably be covering that. Some of the areas that you yeah. suggest that we talk about, I think, we'll obviously give an opportunity to talk about some of the things we've experienced as a family. Now, you were born in an interesting place. Yeah, my parents uh, were missionaries in Papua, Indonesia. It was uh, formerly called Irinjaya. It's the Indonesian side of the island, right over or right above Australia. And uh, my parents are actually Dutch. They left Europe in 1958. In fact, my dad was Dutch, uh, is Dutch. My mom was Belgium. They met at the Brussels Bible Institute and mm-hmm. were asked to get married early to uh, be able to leave on time on a cargo ship. To, now that's uh, romantic. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that's where my oldest sister was conceived as well. It's probably a little too much information, <laughs> uh, but what else do you do, right? You're right. Uh, yeah, a cargo yeah. ship. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, they served there for 40 years, and I'm uh, of four siblings. I'm the third. And 40 years of ministry in Indonesia. Correct, yes. Wow. Yes. Boy, what a what a story there mm-hmm. alone. Huh? And so you're raised in Indonesia. When do you leave Indonesia? I was there till uh, from first grade. Well, uh, I, as far as school, I, I was sent off to boarding school, which will be a significant part of my story. Uh, but I left when I was eighteen, went to Tacoma Falls College, oh, and okay. uh, so uh, was there from birth till uh, eighteen years of age. I got you. I got you. And then from Tacoma Falls, where did you go? We followed the. Uh, we, we were with a denomination called the Christian Missionary Alliance. That's who my parents worked with, and. Uh, I had a, a sense of call in high school to missions to serve as a missionary, and uh, we had had connections with Tacoa Falls College uh, through a, a series of events, which I might talk about as well in a little bit. Um, and after, so the the normal track with our mission is you you get experience in a church, and uh, you have to have some grad uh, training as well, graduate school training. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, so we served as a youth pastor in a church in Hendersonville, North Carolina, uh, got some grad work done in Indianapolis through an extension of Trinity uh, Divinity School, uh-huh. and then pastored a uh, small church north of Texas where I learned uh, what not to do from multiple <laughs> mistakes. Those were the best uh, lessons. Yeah, one, one time I even got mad and slammed the door, and I said, I quit. And Hallelujah. the next day, apologized to the guys, and they, <laughs> they kept me. They were fine. <laughs> I, I, so I, it, we, we were, uh, again, heading, heading to a missions track and uh, ended up actually in, uh, in Europe. We served uh, northwest of England for 10 years uh, with the Christian Missionary Alliance. And then, so let me back you up mm-hmm. just a second. So um, when did you come to know... Christ. How did you meet Christ? Well, being sent off to a, a boarding school, a, a missionary boarding school, uh, obviously the the environment was very. I mean, we we're all missionary kids, and it was a, a strong uh, a Christian school, biblically based, and uh, you know, a lot of lot of kids uh, for you know one or two dorm parents. The ratio was a little bit challenging. You know, you were you were parented by uh, someone who uh, had. You know, thirty other kids that they were parenting mm-hmm. as well, uh, but but again, they were very intentional, very committed to uh, make sure that we had a, a strong Christian uh, nurturing. Uh, mm-hmm. They ta- I, I just remember the gospel being talked about a lot. Uh, I remember uh, just being overwhelmed with uh, you know, those were back in the days of flannel graphs where oh, they man. had pictures up I on a board, those. those cloth things. I really miss those. You things. know, I, and it's so visual, and I still can look back and. Even now, remember certain pictures, and uh, you know the ones that always struck me were Jesus uh, loving people, healing people. Uh, but as uh, you know, you you brought up a couple weeks ago that you'd you'd asked me this question. I was actually thinking about it last night, and uh, I just at the age of six or seven, just really, uh, and I know my parents obviously nurtured that even before we were sure. sent off to boarding school. Uh, just the uh, being overwhelmed by the fact that, uh, that we're sinners, uh, that we're, we're born uh, separated from God. And, and that was proven daily. I mean, you put kids in that kind of environment and we're mean and there's bullies and you're Even trying to survive. School, huh? <laughs> yeah, so, so there's definite evidence of that. And, uh, but there is, you know, I, I don't know if there was a particular moment. I mean, there, there, I think we often look back and feel like we need to pinpoint a particular moment, but I yeah. think it was just the entire experience of, uh, uh, of just, uh, you know, grow, incre- uh, having an increasing awareness of the gospel, which obviously... Uh, tells us two things: we're sinners. Yeah. Uh, you know, the law condemns us, and then, of course, just this overwhelming story of grace and mercy that uh, yeah. Jesus came here and died for us, and He was a sacrificial lamb. And we taught, we learned the Bible a lot and the Old Testament pictures at which right. pointed to Christ. And again, kudos to the leader, to the teachers and Doran parents back then. I, they understood the gospel. They understand the whole message of the Bible, and they did just a great job uh, communicating that consistently to us. Well, they so, must have, because by the time you're in high school, you're already sensing a call to serve the Lord. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. By then, uh, again, there. I think one of the things, the challenging things for missionary kids is there are things assumed about them, and I, you know, you're expected to follow in the tracks of, of your parents. And uh, now let me, let me just follow back uh, to, uh, you know, my er- those earlier days. I, I you know, we, we look back now and many kids did not have that experience. Many, in fact, the, the, the thing we 
probably don't talk enough about in, in our circles of, of missionary kids is that the, the number of kids who, who walked away from the Lord or walked away mm-hmm. from that, uh, uh, that um, you know, experience of, of you know, being so overwhelmed with the presentation of Christ and then later rejecting that. And I, I just I look back overwhelmed that uh, you know, the Lord was, was so kind and gracious to, to give me the opportunity to know him and uh, and parents who were extremely supportive and and loved us and cared for us. I mean, imagine being sent off at the age of six to boarding school. You're mm-hmm. away from your parents, and uh, my parents did the best job. They modeled, uh, you know, Christ-like. Uh, but the boarding parenting. school you went to was in Indonesia, right? It was okay. in on the island of Papua, correct? Okay. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, and and uh, a, a, a significant, if you want me to continue yeah. a little bit to build on the story, a significant event for me at the age of uh, of 12 was uh, falling into a, a severe nervous breakdown. Hmm. Uh, I, it started out by just being uh, homesick, you know, the normal couple weeks being yeah. back in school where you're missing your parents. And it didn't go away. It got worse. And, uh, in fact, it, it got so bad that, uh, in fact, one time I ran away from from the campus and the dorm parents had to come find me. I just, I just wanted to just escape from everything and did not understand really what was going on back then. I mean, obviously later looking back, I understood that I was going through a a severe, a severe depression. Um, And my parents came and took me and I spent some time back at the village where they worked. Um, It was not getting any better. So I was sent, I went with my dad to Australia where I was actually treated uh, in, by a psychiatrist there and, and even hospitalized for and all a bit. this is and at 12, 13 years 12, old. 12 years old, wow. this happened um, and uh, very suicidal. Uh, I remember just, just wanting to die. Uh, but, mm. uh, you know, one of the powerful aspects of my story that is more significant now than ever before was just that, that de- even, even though I was so low, yeah. Uh, just this deep awareness that it would be okay. Ultimately, it would be okay. That God was going to carry me through this, and that would become significant later in some of the losses that we had in our in our family. Um, but my my dad dropped everything and and took care of me. And uh, we were in Australia for about three months, Sydney, Australia, where I received the uh, the help. Went back to the village for about two years, two and a half years. Was homeschooled there. Uh, was not uh, well enough yet to be able to go back to boarding school. And in fact, the advice from professionals w- was that I continue to get professional treatment. And uh, I think I mentioned to you before we recorded here that my parents w- uh, left Holland. Oh no, we this was yeah, recording yeah, already. Yeah. And um, and just the you know the uh, rationale going back to Europe was not uh, was not there because we didn't know the language would be so foreign. So it opened up the door for us to move to Atlanta. There was a church there that supported us, sponsored us oh. as a family. So I spent uh, ninth grade to halfway through eleventh grade in Atlanta. Uh, that continued. was a cultural shift. Huh? It, it was, yeah, it was, but, but it was good. It, uh, I continued to get psychiatric treatment there, and by the time I was in eleventh, eleventh grade, I was, I was completely free of it. Uh, oh, I was uh, off the medication. The, uh, you know, the consultation from the psychiatrist and others was, he's, he's good. You all can go back. And um, I never really, I've never really struggled with depression since. I understand depression because it was something that, in a sense, robbed me of my my teen years. Um, mm-hmm. I tell people I don't get depressed. I can be very depressing sometimes, <laughs> but I don't get depressed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, but those are experiences in life uh, that that shape my faith. That. Sure. Uh, 
you know, if it had not been for that overwhelming, again, sense of my own lostness and then God's mm-hmm. grace that comprises the gospel, yeah. um, I, there, I wouldn't have had that deep in my core to carry me right. through that hard time. You know, and, I heard the, uh, I was at a conference one time with Renovare, and they did a survey of 10,000 deeply spiritual Christians. Mm-hmm. And they determined in that survey that 10,000 out of 10,000 mm-hmm. <laughs> pointed back to a time of real pain or discomfort that was the real changing point in their faith. And we often, you know, we don't understand that when we're in it, mm-hmm. when a difficult, painful scenario, uh, we just want it to get be over as soon as possible. But somehow God uses those dark valleys to do His best work in our life, doesn't He? Yeah, yeah, certainly, and you know, not to twist that point too much. And I've thought about this even recently, and, and it could have been from conversations with people who are struggling with their faith. The the converse is also true. You can talk to ten thousand people who maybe have grown up in a Christian environment and walked away from it that they could point also to, you know, an event yeah. or a crucible in life that disillusioned them, that disenchanted so them. So true. And uh, you know, so what's going on there? I, you know, I, I, I haven't quite totally figured that out because mm-hmm. for me, and I know for you, uh, why would you walk away from the very one you need? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. uh, you know, when I'll I'll share, uh, uh, you know, in a few moments here, uh, you know, the experience of losing a son to cancer. And mm-hmm. I had someone one time say, you know, does this make you angry at God? And it's like, well. I'm angry at cancer. I'm angry at this life that's been so, uh, you know, impacted and damaged by sin. But uh, for me to be angry at God would be like uh, my son playing outside, stubbing his toe, coming in the house, and kicking me for it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what What does my son need from me? Mm. Needs an embrace. You know, wow. when you're hurting, you need your father's embrace. Well said. And uh, but yes, yeah, absolutely. The 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 crucibles that we experience in life are are for most people the reference point. Uh, you you do a lot of counseling, and one of the things I do as well in my counseling is I'll have people draw a line and put the negative uh, below yeah. the line, positive above the line, and just you know mark out events in your life that were significant, positive and negative, and then uh, go back and so you you know wedding date you know, graduating high school, whatever it might be. Probably wouldn't be in that order generally, but the other <laughs> way around. Uh, you know, loss of a child or whatever it is. And and now go back and share or or identify the the moments that you uh, that had the most impact on you in your faith. Mm-hmm. And most people will choose the ones below the line, Isn't not above the line, you know. But what I found in that exercise too is that that below the line is mm-hmm. usually followed by going back above the line. Sure. You know, the uptick yeah. is usually... The next event is one that has been shaped by the the negative event, yeah. Exactly. And so you, um, you, you go through this really dark time as a teenager. It's almost like you said your teenage years were marked by that depression, mm-hmm. that, that difficulty. You come to the United States from that. You go to college here. You get some training. You go to Texas. Uh, of course, you meet your wife sometime in this uh, met time? her in college. Okay. Yeah, she Wonderful. was 17... You swept her off her feet. She was engaged to a guy in California. It was love at first sight for her, of course. Uh, no, she was engaged to a guy in California. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, she broke up with him, 
And this and, is where the story uh, pauses, folks. Yeah, yeah. This, yeah. She broke up with him, and I thought she was breaking up uh, because of me, and later I found that it had absolutely nothing to do with it. Yeah, what you said went right over my head. <laughs> I wanted to make sure you heard it. <laughs> I got it eventually. It's like yeah, my so, high school football team. We were small, but we were slow. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so we, we we got married when we were in college mm-hmm. and uh, and had our first son, uh, our yeah. son Travis, in, in our ministry. And she knew uh, she was marrying a pastor? At the time. Uh, we both, you know, she broke up with me one time because she needed to make sure she was called into ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we broke up twice. That was the excuse she used? Uh, that was first time because I, I, I got <laughs> mad and she didn't like my <laughs> attitude. Second time, she legitimately needed time aside oh, to wow. kind of assess whether... This was, and she came back and said, Mature. "Yeah, I did. yeah, yeah." And uh, and fortunately, because you know, obviously, you know, we were well tested in in the mm-hmm. years ahead. Uh, but uh, yeah, in 1992, we we ended up in Europe and uh, served northwest of England. I pastored the church there, and um, uh, and then in '98, we were. Do you want me to go ahead and, and please? I guess this is the second area that sure. you wanted us to talk about. You know, two or three. Uh, events in life that were shaping. Mm-hmm. Um, we had we had two kids. We had Travis, who was born in in, in North Carolina. We had Brianna, who was born in Texas. Uh, went to Europe. Uh, started out this ministry there. Uh, he was five. She was three. And uh, just wonderful. I mean, we we pastored a small evangelical church there. Um, uh, connected with a community. We're the only Americans in the entire uh, area. I mean, we occasionally will bump into one or two, but it was extremely and this is North rare. England, Northwest England, Northwest England. Yeah, near Wales. Okay. Uh, right between Manchester and Liverpool. Okay. And um, and just just wonderful. We uh, you know we still look back at some that time as some of the best times in our lives. And uh, saw people come to faith, discipled a lot of people. Uh, you know, we uh, if and and it was uh, it was amazing. Older people that just uh, suddenly uh, were so overwhelmed again by who God was, what He had done for them. It's an mm. extremely secular society, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of people had some foundation. You know, the Church of England uh, does a good job in England presenting uh, Christianity as a as a historic faith in school, pri- primarily in yeah. in uh, the elementary school and 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 also in the high school. Religious education, at least back in that time, was a required course, okay. and I think eighty percent of it had to be uh, Christian. I think that's changed a lot from what I've heard since then. Um, but we were um, we were due to come back in uh, 1998 for a one-year home assignment here in the states, and uh, we were taking we took a trip to Germany uh, with uh, uh, the view of looking at a, a boarding school there for our oldest son Travis. And the mission paid for that trip, so we said, let's go ahead and take advantage of it. And uh, on that trip, my wife Elaine started experiencing a lot of dizziness and headaches. Hmm. And uh, in fact, she had this for about a year back in, in our town in England, but the doctors just never really knew what to do with it, suggested maybe it had to do with medication or, or other things. Uh, but she was, she was having some pretty significant, uh, you know, fainting, not fainting completely, but just feeling dizzy and wanting hmm. to faint. Uh, well, on that trip in Europe, in the Black Forest area where the school was, she, uh, she, she would just lay in bed for a couple hours, excruciating pain, uh, had, had a doctor come and look at her. And I still remember, this is haunting, the doctor looking at her eyes and saying her eyes are not dilating very well. Maybe she should go to the hospital uh, and then, no, maybe she's okay, and, and suggested maybe she had a tooth abscess. And uh, so we got in the car. She had moments where she was okay, and but just would 
continue to have these repeated events of uh, of being in pain. And so and at this time, you've pretty much you got a what about a fifteen year old and a twelve year old or something? Third, uh, a twelve year old, um, nine year old. You're challenging me on my challenging me on my math here, <laughs> and a twelve uh, year old and then a six year old. No, twelve year old, nine year old, six year old. Uh, okay, or something like that. So you got three. Uh, you got three kids. Three kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a fun time. I mean, we we were able to to do some things. Went to Paris where we were. Uh, had planned to stay with some friends there and go to Euro Disney, but by that time Elaine was completely um, just just having having to lay down. She was in so much pain, and we had two doctors come there because the people, the hosts that we were staying with, uh, were quite concerned for her. And and uh, both doctors, different days, said, you know, we're we're not sure. Maybe it's a tooth abscess. And uh, so again, just armed with that information that maybe she just has a bad tooth abscess. We continued our trip, which the next stage was to go to Belgium, where my family had actually uh, all come from the States. And I had a sister who was a missionary in in Malaysia, had come to be with my grandmother, who lived in Belgium, to have a family reunion. As soon as we got there, we had lunch, and Elaine took a sip of soup, threw it up, and and did that several times. And uh, again, looking back, I would have done things so much differently. I'm haunted by this sometimes, mm. uh, but uh, you know, there's not much you can do when things are behind you. And mm. so I got in the car. We all all five of us headed back to uh, to Northwest England. It took about nine ten hours to drive under the channel through London. Uh, through Birmingham and uh, and into our our town in Warrington and, and as soon as we got there she was completely comatose she uh, oh we goodness. called an ambulance they ambulance they took her to the hospital um, it took them nine hours to scan her <laughs> um, you know they just did not have the equipment there and and the resources and when they did they found she had a mass on her brain and uh, within a half hour rushed her to Liverpool which is about a 45 minute trip of ambulance I followed behind I remember going probably 90 miles an hour and uh, they did surgery on her and uh, said that if if they, if it had been 20 minutes later she would have died so the whole and, time you're in Germany um, France and back to Belgium and then England she's got a brain tumor she's got a brain tumor and she had it it probably was one she had for quite some years it was a very oh slow goodness. growing tumor and it just had no nowhere to grow anymore and that that was the reason for the symptoms that she had mm. during that that year yeah. uh, now in the states and this is not to beat up uh, uh, you know the system uh, but maybe it's just to show a comparison that you know the town we lived in had one MRI machine that was a, um, a mobile MRI machine. So they would put it in a truck, move it around. So here in the States, as soon as you have symptoms like this, you, yeah. you, know, you, you get checked out. It's pre, you know, CAT scans, MRIs are almost, hey, let's eliminate that. You know? sure. So if we had been in the States, things you know, would have been, uh, it would have been elective surgery, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and things would have been far different. But she, um, she uh, was in a coma for about a month. Um, and once she came to, it was evident, and we found out that the tumor was right in the speech center, which controls reading, writing, comprehension, and speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, re- yeah, reading, writing, comprehension, speech, four areas of the, of the speech center. And, um, and once she came to, and she had obviously become very weak during that time, and uh, not to go into a lot of details here, um, you know, once she got home, uh, it was just evident that she had a long ways to go. Uh, mm-hmm. She was not able to speak, not able to really understand what people were saying to her. Had to relearn how to use things. Uh, I remember one day coming into the bedroom and she was combing her hair with a cassette tape. 
Uh, you know, so, uh, you know, we, they started with occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy. And, uh, and in we the were, meantime, you're pastoring a church and raising three kids. Right? right. I resigned from the church. We were due, we were due to come home anyway. Okay. And so that was delayed by two months. Okay. And so we, we followed through on the original plan of moving to Tacoa, Georgia, uh, which is where we live now again. And um, and settled in a home there, and then she immediately started speech therapy and, and physical therapy. Gotcha. And uh, and it, you know now talking to her, it, it was extremely confusing to her. Uh, she had, there, there was a moment in England where she just realized what was going on and mm. just had a had a meltdown. Uh, but she's resi- she's the most resilient woman I've ever met. I knew that from the start. I mean, the very fact that she put up with me from the start, knowing what I was like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that gives you some idea of the strength of her character. Uh, but she uh, she's not a quitter. Uh, you know, she was determined to fight this. Uh, it it didn't make easy it easier. This is another part of our story. Two weeks after we came back to the states, as she was going through therapy, our oldest son Travis, who was twelve. Uh, started exhibiting some balance uh, symptoms with his balance. He was an amazing soccer player, and especially coming to the States, he joined the soccer team and uh, was, I mean, the coach would take him out of the game because he was scoring too much goal, too many uh, goals. Uh, actually, one game <laughs> Yeah, that scored. never happened to me, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you played in the slow football team, so I can understand. We were small, but we were slow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, in high school, when I came, you know, we were talking about my moving to the States in ninth grade. I love basketball back in, in the mission field. Huh. Never played, but I just love the game. First game I ever played in Atlanta at the Christian school there, I scored two baskets for the wrong team. <laughs> <laughs> so you got that so, going for you. Yeah, I had that was it was terrible. <laughs> they're still talking uh, about that. They're by still the way. yeah, yeah. I was I was the other team's most valuable player. Well let me let me uh say number one, uh, I can I can tell by your faith now that going through that season, uh, you must have really hung on to God. You must have hung on to a life of prayer, and uh, Scripture mm-hmm. must have carried you through as you're trying to raise three kids, move back uh, across the pond, your wife going through all those challenges. Um, I can't wait for next week. Uh, I, and if you're listening to this right now, you're probably going, no, well, no, this don't do this. Right. Yeah, we didn't plan that, by no, the way. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to say uh, your story of, um, of walking with the Lord for so long, of going through some challenges. I know there are more challenges to come you're going to share with us. Um, but uh, to wrap this one up today, uh, how would you encourage, let's say uh, there's someone out there today that is listening to this, maybe the first time, maybe they've listened to all of our episodes, I don't know, um, but they're facing a difficulty, they're facing mm. a challenge, and they've got faith in God, but they can't understand why God is allowing this to happen, uh, specifically with the situation with your wife. What would you say to them to encourage them? Yeah, and and we'll, you know, I, I hope in for next week, we talk a little bit more, expand on this, but yes. I, I would lay this out that the 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 commitments that we make to the Lord and to one another are extremely important. Uh, you know, for example, if if it's a marriage uh, challenge that someone's going through, that that vow you made to your wife before God is significant and. Mm-hmm. And and there are times God calls us on it. You know, He asks us to actually stand on those promises. You mean the better for worse is really true. Absolutely, yeah. But but more importantly, is is to hone in on God's deep commitment to us. Mm-hmm. And if you if you are going through it, and a lot of people do do go through significantly hard times, is I, I think if you reflect on redemption, you reflect on 
the cross and, and what God has done and his commitment to us and his commitment to himself and his promises, uh, that, that has a way of putting things in perspective. I think it has a way of putting suffering into perspective mm-hmm. and lifts us. And we demand to know why, mm-hmm. and we will, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's not always on our time, is it? That's right. Well, thank you, Mitch. I look forward to our conversation next week. You are welcome. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers podcast.